Welcome to a brand new episode of the Jam Pack Report today for June the 23rd of 2020. Of course, my name is Samuel Adams and this is a daily gaming news podcast meant to bring you the hottest news you need to know from around the industry. Hosted on YouTube and podcast services around the world five days a week, it is your one-stop shop for everything you need to know. So if you enjoy the show and you like what you see, hit that subscribe button and keep coming back for more. But a Need for Speed Hot Pursuit remaster is reportedly on the way, according to a report from Venture Beep. They cite, quote, a source familiar with the publisher's release slate outlined EA's alleged plans for the year ahead. The report focuses on EA's Switch offerings, but the Need for Speed Hot Pursuit remaster is said to be coming to PS4, Xbox One, and PC in addition to Switch. Burnout Paradise gives us some idea of what to expect from the rumored remaster of Hot Pursuit. Burnout Paradise came out in 2008, while the modern Hot Pursuit, not Need for Speed 3 Hot Pursuit, or Need for Speed Hot Pursuit 2, was released in 2010 and on the same platforms, so it will likely receive much the same treatment. For those wondering, the other EA games supposedly coming to Switch are Plants vs. Zombies Battle for Neighborville and the new EA Originals game from Velen Studios. Both releases make sense on paper. Plants vs. Zombies is exactly the kind of family-friendly fun I would expect EA to bring to Switch, and the game at Velen Studios, formed by ex-Guitar Hero and Metroid Prime devs, has been vaguely described as a competitive online game with innovative mechanics, which could make it a good front-runner for the EA Originals label. Anyways, that's all we have to go on for the Hot Pursuit remaster, but this makes perfect sense, because Burnout Paradise is a legend in the arcade racing space. People love Burnout Paradise, and even though the remaster isn't as good as I remember it being, I will say it is still a stellar open-world racing game. Need for Speed Hot Pursuit is one that really stands out of my mind as one of the icons of my childhood. I spent hundreds of hours running from the cops in hot pursuit and doing all these incredible stunts that you would expect from a classic Need for Speed game. Now, I think this could be something that is testing the water for the future because you see Need for Speed Heat getting pretty middle-of-the-road reviews, uh, not as bad as its predecessors, but it certainly wasn't a 10 out of 10. And so I think that right now, the team of Criterion is probably going to be testing the waters and seeing if there is interest in a classic setup for a Need for Speed title, which I would say there more than likely is. Uh, so Need for Speed Hot Pursuit is reportedly getting a remaster later on this year, coming to all major platforms as well as the Nintendo Switch. But moving on, Electronic Arts says it will double down on Star Wars following the recent successes that it's seen in the gaming space. Speaking in an investor call on Monday, EA CEO Andrew Wilson pointed to the success the company has enjoyed across multiple genres and platforms as indication of its healthy relationship with the license. Electronic Arts' most recent Star Wars title, Respawn's Jedi Fallen Order, exceeded expectations with over 10 million sales, and Wilson claimed the first two Battlefront games have now sold more than 35 million units combined. Last week, the firm announced Star Wars Squadrons, a space dogfighting title set for release this October, which EA CEO claimed had enjoyed a strong response from fans. According to the CEO, the publisher has also seen success in the mobile space with Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes, which he claimed continues to enjoy significant levels of engagement. Asked where EA would like to take Star Wars in the future, Wilson commented, up is my hope, up and to the right. I would say again we have a tremendous relationship with Disney and we have a tremendous relationship with LucasArts. We have a long-standing relationship with them going all the way back to Star Wars The Old Republic which we launched in 2011. 
He added, We have had success in first-person shooters, in RPGs, in action-adventure, in MMORPGs, in mobile, and I believe we are going to have success in squadrons as well. So again, I think that we are going to double down on that partnership. Disney continues to be very, very committed to the IP and the canon, and continue to create new content. EA's relationship with Star Wars has also experienced its challenges. Battlefront 2 attracted significant criticism for its reliance on the loot box mechanic, a feature that the publisher removed just hours before launch. EA's now defunct Visceral Studio also spent two years developing a Star Wars heist game called Ragtag under prominent game director Amy Hennig, of course of Uncharted fame, before it was cancelled. Another Star Wars project, Orca, was then reportedly spun off of Ragtag, only for it to be cancelled in 2018. Wilson said that, overall, he feels there continues to be a really, really strong opportunity in and around Star Wars games going forward. I would say that is absolutely true. It is going to be a bit controversial, but I will say Electronic Arts has really turned Star Wars around in recent years. Battlefront 2 hit its low point before it was even released, and to some degree the title continues to suffer to this day because of the negative reputation it garnered from the poor choice going into the release to include loot boxes as a main mechanic in the game, and one that impacted gameplay at that very early on. Uh, and so, whenever you take out all these negative elements, you are left with very solid Star Wars Wars games. In fact, for the month of June, Star Wars Battlefront 2 is the free PlayStation Plus game, so if you happen to be a PlayStation Plus subscriber, swing by, pick it up, and see what we're talking about. Uh, there is actually a very solid title there that you might have forgotten about. On top of that, Jedi Fallen Order was phenomenal, really enjoyed playing that one late last year, and although it wasn't the best action game that I'd ever played by any stretch of the imagination, it was a cool Star Wars title. The combat was fluid, I enjoyed the story, and there were some phenomenal uh, little fights in there that definitely were narrative-driven, and the story itself, not too bad either. Uh, so... I am excited to see where EA takes Star Wars. Of course, I do wish that they would be able to free up that IP and allow other people to use Star Wars because I feel like there are so many other stories that could be told, uh, but the issue is maintaining canon. Uh, the issue is maintaining that fidelity that people expect from the world of Star Wars, and that takes a pretty strong hand uh, to kind of hold everything down and make sure that there aren't rogue projects going on in the background. However, Nintendo may be done with mobile games for now. According to a new Bloomberg report, Nintendo is seemingly backing away from the mobile market and choosing to instead focus on its strong console business. We are not necessarily looking to continue releasing many new applications for the mobile market, Nintendo President Shuntaro Furukawa said, which caused the company's stock to dip by 4% one day later. The company does not expect any big gain this fiscal year from its mobile operation, and will instead turn its gaze to supporting currently available games. Nintendo's development partner, Dana, likewise indicated that it will be a while yet before we see another new release from them. Nintendo, which first announced real interest into the mobile market five years ago, has since released multiple titles based on its franchises, none of which set the world on fire. Even as other games saw revenue boost as a result of coronavirus lockdowns worldwide, Nintendo's games declined. Nintendo faced criticism in the past for how it monetizes its games. More recently, Mario Kart Tour, a free-to-play game, was ridiculed for having a $5 monthly subscription. According to Bloomberg sources, Nintendo asked its development partners to ease up on the requirements for players to spend money. There is also the fact Nintendo just hasn't landed on a winning formula for mobile. The company tried the free-to-start premium model with Super Mario Run before later switching to entirely free-to-play with Mario Kart. Neither have seemingly worked wonders. 
This is a very good move for Nintendo, but I do feel like it leaves a lot of potential left on the table. If I were running the show behind the scenes at Nintendo, and of course this is coming from somebody who does not have any insight into the financial situations, I'm just looking at this from a providing games to gamers perspective. Release a $5 mobile application that is simply a classic Mario title. Or even better yet, release a Mario title that is emulated on the screen in a Game Boy kind of situation where you do have a phone and you have the A and B buttons on the right side with a uh, D-pad on the left and you can literally play Game Boy on your phone or your iPad. That sounds like a great time. Uh, if that was the approach that was taken, I feel like we would be seeing a much different story because you see... In uh, other instances, the success of standalone titles that aren't necessarily monetized beyond belief. I think about Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, which is a very popular game on the App Store, and although it might not be the best port of San Andreas, it is still GTA on the go, and that's exactly the way that many people will see a Mario game on the go. It might not be the same as playing a Nintendo Switch, but it is something that you can play whenever you are taking a break at work or you're waiting in line. Uh, it can be a very welcoming kind of approach to a Mario title and one that is an entry-level situation that could translate into Switch sales. Now, I will say that there have been some missteps uh, when it comes to monetizing. There have been some missteps when it comes to what IP deserve to be on the mobile store. Uh, but ultimately, you never know if you don't try, and Nintendo has certainly tried. I feel like there is still, again, a lot left here that could potentially bring positive experiences to mobile. But with the recent success of the Nintendo Switch, is there really a reason to try any new experiments in the mobile space? You have plenty of success uh, with regular all-natural games, if you will. But it looks like Electronic Arts is certainly going to be doubling down on mobile with Apex Legends coming to iOS and Android. Now, this is something that was revealed last year, but we now know when we will be getting it. Looks like a soft launch is coming at the end of the year. EA CEO Andrew Wilson said in a recent investor meeting, the company plans to soft launch Apex Legends on mobile by the end of 2020. This fall, the game will also be released on Switch, and during the season, crossplay is finally coming to the game. Currently, the Lost Treasures Collection event is live and features the LTM Armed and Dangerous Evolved. So, if you are looking forward to playing Apex Legends on the go, it looks like you can look forward to it around the same time the Switch version will be launching, which is probably going to be around October, November, December, that kind of time frame. Uh, this is going to be a very much so Random Tuesday style of announcement, if I had to guess. I'm not sure how far along the development of the game actually is, uh, but it probably is closely affiliated with the Switch version because of the downgrade uh, that the game is going to be getting from the PS4, Xbox One, and PC version. So keep an eye out. Of course, I will let you know as soon as we know when Apex Legends will hit mobile. But it looks like those big giveaways from Epic Games are certainly paying off because the GTA 5 giveaway pushed Epic's concurrent user count to within shouting distance of Steam. That's a pretty big number. Epic's Grand Theft Auto V giveaway in May was so popular that it broke the Epic Games store. Demand was so high that it caused problems ranging from odd hiccups to complete inaccessibility for the entire day. It also kicked off a series of four major game giveaways that pushed the Epic Games store's peak concurrent user count within shouting distance of Steam.
The giveaways of GTA 5, followed by Civilization 6, Borderlands The Handsome Collection, and after an unexpected delay, Ark Survival Evolved, collectively made up a user acquisition campaign known as The Vault, reflecting the fact that unlike most epic freebies, they were hidden behind an image of a large vault door, locked in you might say, until the giveaways were live. The campaign was a major success, Epic said today, pushing the Epic Games Store to an average peak concurrent user count of 13 million and its monthly active user total to more than 61 million. Since launching the Epic Games Store, we have always wanted to create a huge event around our very successful free games weekly program to give something awesome to players worldwide, and we decided to go big, said Epic Games Store GM Steve Allison. We invested in acquiring the rights to give four of these biggest games in the world away for free. In 2020, we've been growing at a historic rate. Epic Games Store partners have a huge audience of players to sell their games to and receive 88% of the revenue instead of only 70% as on other platforms. 13 million peak concurrent users is a far cry from Steam's record of 24.5 million. It also achieved nearly 95 million monthly active users in 2019. But it is enough to put the Epic Games Store in Steam's off-peak trough. That may not sound like much to write home about, but it demonstrates to developers and publishers that the EGS is a viable storefront capable of attracting a significant audience, and thus gives them a reason beyond Epic's exclusivity deals to commit to using it. It's also a major accomplishment for a storefront that has been around for less than two years. As Epic CEO Tim Sweeney said in an interview earlier this month, storefronts like Humble and GOG went live with more features than EGS and spent years trying to achieve a fraction of 1% of Steam's market share, while the Epic Games Store has already claimed a market share of about 15%. Now that is some very impressive uh, growth in a very short amount of time. But I do question whether or not this is something that is able to stick, if this is something that is going to be a resounding success for years to come, because although it is nice to have access to these giant games, Borderlands the Handsome Collection, Grand Theft Auto V, uh, you have many others that have been given away over the course of the past two years, the collection is there. But in the long run, what is the long game? Are you going to continue giving away games for free indefinitely? Is this going to be the approach? Because essentially what you're getting here is something that is better than PlayStation Plus and Xbox Live games with gold when it comes to giving away games for free on a regular basis without any kind of subscription. But is that sustainable? In five years, uh, Fortnite will still be around, but it won't be as big as it is today, and it probably won't be generating as much revenue as it was at its peak. And so the question is, what is the long game from Epic? And I don't think this really answers that question. Uh, because although you do have a lot of users signing up for it, and a lot of concurrent users at that, uh, will that continue once the hype around GTA 5 has died down? If it ever dies down. Uh, will that continue once these game giveaways cease? That is the big question I am left with because there is still a very strong allegiance to Steam. But to round out today's show, Marvel's Avengers has a free next-gen console upgrade. This means you get a free upgrade from PS4 to PS5 or Xbox One to Series X when the consoles launch in time for Christmas 2020. You can move your saves to next-gen, transferring player profiles and progression, which means you can pick up right where you left off. There is also cross-gen play, so PS5 players can play with PS4 players, and Series X players can play with Xbox One owners. So what does playing on next-gen get you? Quote, extremely fast load times, boosted resolution and fidelity, improved texturing and armor destruction, ray tracing, and more, Square Enix said. 
There is extra info on the PS5 version, which, quote, will be seamless and dynamic, fully utilizing the ultra-high-speed SSD, the PS5 DualSense Advanced Haptics, and immersive spatial audio. Also on PS5, you can choose between the Enhanced Graphics Mode or High Frame Rate Mode, which targets 60fps with dynamic 4K resolution. In a post on the PlayStation blog, Crystal Dynamics Chief Technology Officer Gary Sniven, what a name, went into more detail on the PS5 version. Quote, PS5 greatly lifts the performance and graphics bar for consoles, he said. The new GPU allows us to increase our texture resolution, put a higher excuse me, push a higher level of detail farther from the player, enhance our ambient occlusion, improve our anti-sotropic filtering, and add a variety of new graphics features such as stochastic screen space reflections with contact-aware sharpening. Y'all know what that means, because I sure don't. And on the PS5 SSD, Quote, the GPU and CPU improvements on PS5 are exciting, but even more exciting is the introduction of a high-speed SSD with lightning-fast load speeds. This is a transformative improvement in consoles that will reduce load times down to one or two seconds and enable real-time streaming of massive worlds at ridiculously fast speeds. Without any optimization work, the loading and streaming of Marvel's Avengers improved by an order of magnitude on PS5. When optimization is complete, loading content will be nearly instant, allowing players to seamlessly jump into missions anywhere in the game world. And as Iron Man flies through content-rich levels, higher-resolution textures and mesh will stream in instantly, maintaining the highest possible quality all the way to the horizon. We will have more details to share on Xbox Series X, Stadia, and PC-specific features at a later time, Square Enix said. A new gameplay reveal is set for a live stream at 6 p.m. UK time on Wednesday, the 24th of June. And of course, the game itself is due out on the 4th of September on PS4, Xbox One, Stadia, and PC. I'm still not fully sold on the Avengers game because every time I see the character models, it still looks to me like a cheap knockoff of the Marvel movies that have become so popular over the years. Uh, if you don't have all of the incredible actors like Mark Ruffalo, like Chris Hemsworth, uh, it just feels off to me. But if the gameplay is there, it's still going to sell very well because Avengers is still a massive name in the entertainment space, and this is going to be a game that is uh, something that a lot of kids remember and big hardcore Marvel fans really look to uh, when it comes to scratching that itch of diving into the world of Marvel's Avengers. So we'll see the gameplay reveal later on in the week, but ultimately it looks like we are going to be getting some pretty impressive stuff on the PlayStation 5 in terms of Marvel's Avengers. Uh, but more importantly, regardless of where you choose to play, Marvel's Avengers has a free next-gen console upgrade, meaning you don't have to buy a game twice. But that rounds out today's episode of the Jam Pack Report. If you enjoyed this one, drop me a like down below and let me know what you think about everything we talked about here today. Do you want to see a Need for Speed Hot Pursuit remaster? How do you feel about more Star Wars games coming? Do you want to see more mobile games from Nintendo? I would love to hear your thoughts on these and more. But until tomorrow, you guys have a fantastic rest of the night. I'll talk to you soon and peace.